All the chips are in the middle of the table. We know who the Pac-12 champion is. We know where the bowl games are going to be. What's up with recruiting? Because we're only days away from early signing period. Why do these idiots want Kyle Whittingham fired? Was this a successful season for the Pac-12? Got a whole lot here. And coaching changes. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. We want to thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. This podcast has grown beyond our, our wildest dreams at this point in time, and it's because of you guys, and you guys, we want to hear from you. Send us emails, I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. We thank you guys for your time, your energy, and make sure you share it. Tell a friend about it. The best damn podcast about the Pac-12 and college football that there is. Let's get to the show. Ralph, I guess we'll start with the the biggest game of the whole season for the Pac-12, which was the Pac-12 championship. You had Oregon coming in the game. It looked like they were limping into the game. They didn't have great offensive performances in the in their three previous games. Arizona, Arizona State, which they obviously lost, and Oregon State. And everybody said Utah was going to crush them because Utah had been suffocating everybody that they played. And then the game showed up. And it was just an absolute wipeout. What did you make out of that game, Ralph? Do we have to talk about? Do we even have to talk? I mean, I know we're a Pac-12 podcast, but do we have to talk about the Pac-12 championship? I'm pretty sure I uh, I <laughs> I was hyping up Utah going into this game, and oh my goodness, it it did not go according to plan for the use. They didn't. I mean, they showed up flat. How could you possibly do that in a game of this magnitude? See, I I would not take away credit from Utah more than I would give Oregon credit in this case because Oregon did something that they hadn't done all season. I think Justin Herbert only had 23 carries on the season and only one of them for positive yards, if, if I have my stats correctly. And... They did that in the beginning of the game, which then threw Utah in a full tailspin because there's a whole different mechanic when you're playing defense and you have to account for the quarterback in the run game and when you don't. And I think that that threw them for a loop. They abandoned the things that they came into the game trying to do. And and I and Oregon and Utah, to me, play the exact same are trying to play the exact same brand of football. They're trying to be physical. They're trying to be tough. They're trying to be disciplined and they're trying to be, you you know, control the line of scrimmage and Oregon just has better players. That's what I thought of the PAC 12 championship. I didn't take anything away from Utah because they had been phenomenal. I thought that, Oregon was just ready. Marcus Arroyo called his best game offensive game plan. Utah wasn't ready for it. And then and then things just got out of control. Well, I mean, we had talked about on this show that one of the problems I thought that Justin Herbert was having this year is that he went from averaging like 25 to 35 rushing yards a game to zero this year. 
that they just weren't using him at all. And so, I mean, I, I could see that helping out, but it's not even like they, it's not even like they stuck with it. I don't, I, it's crazy to me that one play would really change the complexion that much. This offensive line just blew Utah's defensive line up, which makes you wonder, yeah. which makes you wonder that there were a lot of teams that, that, uh, Utah got up on early and then they sort of abandoned the run, but it makes you wonder what would have happened if some of those teams stuck with trying to run the ball. You know, you look at the the game in the rain between Utah and Arizona state that was, you know, 14 to three late in the third quarter, Eno Benjamin looked like he was doing well, but ASU kept trying to throw the ball. You know, you, you, you almost wonder if that weakness was there for a long time, but Utah was just jumping out on people because CJ Verdell averaging 12 yards a carry against Utah in the Pac-12 championship is wild. That's wild. This is best game of the season. And there's some soft defenses in the Pac-12 this year. Utah was not one of them. This was, this was out and out domination. Even the run that, that Utah made was answered by Oregon scoring two touchdowns in the fourth quarter when it mattered most um, for Utah. I mean, it, it everything came crashing down for the Utes in this. The whole Huntley for Heisman thing, which was kind of a joke, even though you had guys out there like Yogi Roth, who I love, who took it seriously, you know, as an advocate for the conference, that, that very much fell apart, and it became really, really clear who the best players on, you know, Utah really are, who the most skilled players on Utah really are. Um, and then th- this offensive line of, of, of Oregon, even if you think back to the game that they lost against Arizona State, that offensive line was blowing up Arizona State's defensive line. The linebackers were just playing back and loose, and the holes would be so big that the linebackers and the strong safety could crash down on the running back. But he was still getting six, seven yards every time they gave him the ball. It just they got impatient and they tried to throw. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. Oregon's offensive line is probably the best unit slash position of anything in the Pac-12 that we have. They dominated. Yeah, and I was I was a little bit surprised how well they handled Lecky Foto in in general. I mean, the, on that play, that 70 yard run by C.J. Verdell. Uh, Dallas Womack, the right guard, just pancaked him. I mean, just picked him up, put him over by where the other guard was. I mean, it was very surprising. And But, I mean, the, the offensive line has been their strength kind of the, the whole entire year. And with Tyler Huntley on the other side, though, I said this. Have I not said this all year, Ralph, that – there was going to be a point in time for Utah to win the Pac-12 championship that Tyler Huntley was going to have to be great and yeah. not a game manager. Right. And he could it like he just had didn't have it. It's one of those situations. Utah is built just like Georgia, except Georgia has better players. They play a certain style of offense, which is very similar. They want to run the football, control the line of scrimmage, stay in third and one and two so they can run it, play action it. But they're not going to just, you know, like, and if the quarterback has to drop back and throw 30 times, 
they're going to lose. Georgia's offer yeah. hasn't won a game when Jake Fromm has to throw over 30 times. And I bet that's pretty true for Tyler Huntley and Utah as well. Uh, here's another thing that surprised me from this game. I thought that Kayvon Thibodeau would – I thought he'd struggle a little bit. He was one of those, you're going to learn today, freshman type deal. You know, no, he dominated. He absolutely dominated this game. Um, that, I mean, that, that, was, that was one of the more impressive things for me. The other thing that sticks out, and I know that, you know, if anybody's listened to this podcast more than once, they know how much I love Johnny Johnson. He's, you know, somebody I covered at the high school level. And to see Oregon figure out what some of his strengths are and to see that relationship with Justin Herbert develop and watch him blow up has been it's been joyous on my part I love this kid he's a really 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 good kid um but it I mean it's not he didn't just have a couple of strong games he's emerging as Oregon's number one receiver am I wrong no you are you are right (laughs) especially with with Pittman out you know he's he he missed more it seems like he missed more games than he actually played this year um and, you know, and you've had Brian Addison's at the drop seas at times. Juwan Johnson, he's had some good games. I mean, and he's a vital crew. I mean, that dude is big. He's a great blocker. I mean, there was on one, on the fourth down play, he came and just crushed a linebacker. I was like, whoa. But, but I do love the maturation of Johnny Johnson. Couldn't, couldn't catch the ball, couldn't get on the field at first. And now he's proving to be not only a reliable receiver, but a playmaker, too. I mean, and when you mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau, he's a prime example of when people tell you that stars don't matter in recruiting, that they are delusional. They are couldn't <laughs> be more delusional because, right. granted, just because you're a five-star doesn't mean you're going to the NFL. but it does if you have a team full of five star kids guess what you have a good team because even the one the, the ones that you miss on they will they will be just as good as those three star players most likely right and look at the teams look at the teams in the college football playoff yeah, they have the most five star oh. players <laughs> yep. some of some of them hit and then and then they have four and three star players too, and some of those hit, and some of those miss. So guess what? So now you have a whole team of guys. Granted, yes, you can d- develop players, but when you can get freshmen who can come in and make an impact, mind you, Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't even starting. Oregon had an injury that put him in the starting lineup, so they had a guy who was better than him initially at the position. He gets hurt, and then he comes in. That's how great teams are built. They have depth because at some point in time, your young guys or players get hurt, players get injured, and that's where recruiting matters. And that that's why USC is at such a disadvantage right now, it appears to be. They had a lot of injuries this year. And people gave Clay Helton that as an excuse. Oh, so many injuries. Yeah, but a lot of other teams lost players too. It's just your coaching and your depth 
So who are the four teams? Who are the four teams in the football? Let's look at the team recruiting rankings from the classes of 2016 and 2017. And I will tell you, I will tell you, you'll be able to find out exactly why some coaches no longer have a job and why some coaches are coaching in New Year's Six Bowls and in the college football playoffs. So we got what? Um, Ohio State's out there, right? So State had the number three recruiting class in the class of 2016, two five stars, yep. 15 four stars. And then Ohio State follows up that recruiting class in 2017. Uh, they pull in another another top 10 class, a really, really, really good class, and two overall, six five stars, 11 four stars. LSU had the number eight class in, in 2016. They had a, uh, in 2017, they had a top five class in 2016. This is not rocket science. Georgia was up there in both years, too, and at the end, they were threatening. Oklahoma was up there in both years, too, and at the end, they were threatening. You know who had, you know, was in the top five both of those years? Also, Florida State. And guess what? They don't have a head coach anymore because they didn't perform up to those expectations. It's, it, it's really, really clear that if you get good players and you know how to coach them, you are going to win. If you get good players and you don't know how to coach them, usually you're going to get fired unless you're Clay Helton. <laughs> but, oh, man. So where does Utah go from here, though? Because they had the three Florida kids. And mind you, in 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 the game, real, real quick, I want to put a bow on the game. I forgot to talk about Zach Moss, who, who actually had a really statistically a good game because he had two long runs. I think he had a 42-yard run on a – on um, where they didn't keep contain and then one where at a pass play. But for the most part, would you say, and he averaged 5.9 yards to carry in the game. But when, when you're watching the game, aside from those two big chunk plays, he was virtually shut down. Well, it's not completely off brand for Zach Moss to get his at the end of the game. That's Utah's way of doing things is usually to just really wear a team down and then keep giving him the ball until there's nothing more than you can do about it. There's been a couple of games where he's gone out there and he's had success really, really early, and they've been able to just sort of sit him. Um, but I, I feel like that's pretty on brand for Zach Moss is that he doesn't really tire out and defenses do. And so, um, but at the same time, Oregon had a perfect game plan for almost everything Utah was trying to put out there. Yeah, I think Utah just came in a little bit cocky. And I mean, I I was buying into it. I was really buying it. They were physically dominating other teams and not anticipating that somebody else also had that level of muscle um, to bring to the table. And I think that's what that's really what made the difference was that, you know, it, they they overpowered so many teams in a row that they didn't know if there were any holes in their schemes or anything like that, because whatever they were trying to do for the most part was working. Um, yep. Yeah. But don't you think that that schedules matter in in this game where you had Utah played a grand total of nobody outside of the conference and they weren't battle tested? They didn't run up against somebody who was, you know, like that was going to push them to the limit. So they I don't think that the players were ready for the intensity of a conference championship game where Oregon had played Auburn on a big stage, had been 
you know, had time to really have that pressure for the whole offseason. And then you show up and you play in it and you play well. And then you fall apart at the end of the game and you're like, hold up, we won't do this again. And I think that. I guess. I mean, Oregon had what, you know, what, 10 straight conference games or something like that. And so I mean, it's it, it to say to say, you know, and, and the early season stuff was so early. And BYU is pretty big and pretty physical. And I mean, they went out to SEC and beat Tennessee or whatever. But I, I don't know, because if you if you say that, then basically what you're saying is the Pac-12 conference is so incredibly weak that it that it wore Utah down. But Oregon was playing those same exact opponents. So I don't know if that's necessarily the case, because that Auburn game was so far in the past that, you know, I, I just I just think that that Utah was big and strong and that worked until it didn't. If that so what's sense. the future for Utah? Cause they lose Zach Moss. They lose that whole Florida crew thing yeah. and they have the 12th recruiting class. So I guess we'll, we'll segue into recruiting here. Um, they have the 12th ranked recruiting class in the pac 12. I mean, where do they go from here? That's the, I mean, it, it seems like a re, a rebuild yeah. is coming. Probably. So sticking to the formula is going to be the thing that they're probably going to go with. They're going to, you know, lean on some of the experience that some of the younger guys got this year in, in building toward what they, they have. They, they are very senior heavy. Um, they do, uh, when Al Luganville took over as like the recruiting coordinator out here at Arizona state, he, he sort of said something that made me think of Utah, which was you want a team that works like shark's teeth where that front row falls out, but there's just another row of super sharp teeth ready to, you know, go to work that was already behind that front row, you know? And, and I think Utah does a really, really good job of that. And so I think that they're still going to have some level of success against some of these teams like UCLA and ASU, which are just trying to fight to even get over 70 scholarships uh, next year because they've kind of gutted everything. I think the, the, the advantage that Utah has is continuity on their staff. The disadvantage that they have is they just can't get anybody to come play for them. You know, I think they'll have a big bump as far as recruiting toward the end here, but I don't. It, it's embarrassing that arguably the conference's second-best team can't out recruit yeah, Colorado but or is Oregon that State. on the coaches though? Yes. I would say yes because there's absolutely no reason and I this is anecdotal, but I love Salt Lake City. I love Salt there's plenty to love. It it you have to be able to have people on staff that can get people to come out. They get out recruited by Boise State. What's different about Boise Listen, than Salt Lake City? Nobody George? wants to be in Boise, Idaho compared to Salt Lake City, aside from the people who grew up there. Amen. Right. I'm I'm with you 100 Even as somebody from Wyoming, I'm with you. Like I I Salt so Salt Lake City and Denver, Colorado are for anybody who loves the mountains, like those are the two best options available out there and it's big time d1 football with a great fan base minus how weird they can get on twitter sometimes but like it it is a fantastic place to play 
they win. Um, you know, you kind of know what to expect. The fact that they can't get kids at this point is frankly just sort of weird. Right? I mean, but they know the they know who to go after, they know what kind of kids they like to develop, they know their brand, but it's not it's not enough to put them over the top thus far. This was their best chance at winning the Pac-12 outright, and it didn't happen. And so, um, you know, are, are they all of a sudden going to get more athletic? Um, are they going to get more talent than they had this year? I don't think so. The best thing that happened to Utah, in my opinion, is that they're going to get to go play this bowl game in Texas against University of Texas, which I don't think is a great matchup for them. But if they can go out to Texas and beat Texas in Texas, that's where their recruiting focus has been. And I think that that's going to go a long way into showing a certain part of the country that they like to get kids from, that that's a serious place to consider to go play football. Because Texas kids like leaving Texas. Yeah, yeah. They don't like leaving Texas. But, you know, if you're Utah, you have to put more resources into recruiting and stop trying to sell the line that stars don't matter because they do. The better players that you have, the more you're going to win. Uh, but but I so I trolled the, the the message boards to see if what they're saying. And there's a lot of people talking about Kyle Whittingham should be fired. But this sounds like insanity to me, Ralph. For what? For who? To do what? It doesn't make sense. If any, like honestly, Utah fans get on my nerves with with uh, just how they are when they come together uh, in just sort of like a, a swarm the way they do. But I also greatly respect it. I think that it's really, really fun at the same time. Um, I would think that if there were people within the ranks that were that were calling for a change <laughs> at the at, at head coach when they've represented the Pac-12 South two years in a row, um, I would think that that swarm of crazy Ute fans would stomp out the rest of the the dissenting voices because they're absolutely they're maximizing what they have now they just need someone to get kyle whittingham some better groceries to cook with that's it yeah because yeah, if i guarantee that he's got other options than to stay at utah i guarantee his phone rings every year oh. and people are saying hey yo yo what do you think about coming to sc i mean that 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 may have happened what do you what do you I'm gonna put you on the spot, George? Yeah. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Give Kyle Whittingham Mario Cristobal's players. Oh Lord. I know you love Oregon. I look yeah. I know I know I know you love that team, but what would you in that scenario, if you could have Kyle Whittingham coaching up Mario Cristobal's players, would you take that? Coaching up? Oh ooh, yes. Recruiting? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the caveat. Yeah, I mean, but but that's part of the job. You know what I mean? Like yep. that's where you're saying, all right. It, I mean, Mar- Mario Cristobal hasn't been a head coach very long. I mean, granted, he had the one stop at where F- F- FIU, FAU, and FIU, yeah, yeah. And but Kyle Whittingham's been doing this, and he's proven multiple times that he can develop players. 
And he puts a lot of players in the NFL that weren't big time recruits. So, you know, so there's something to be said for that. Um, yeah. I, I just don't understand it because who if you fight if you talk if you fire Kyle Whittingham, who are you going to get better than him? Hmm. You can't think of anybody, right? Who who will absolutely take that job? Because remember, there are two things you have to do before you fire your coach. There will be an article up on this on Unafraid Show today. You have to assess your coach after every season. First question, is there a coach I can guarantee get that will do a better job than this guy? I mean, if you're Oregon and Nick Saban's like, yo, I'm, I will coach there for 10 years. I will not leave. You give me this contract. Will they fire Mario Cristobal? Today, after going 10 and 11 and 2 in the Rose Bowl, if Nick Saban's showing up, they'll fire his ass. But, and then the second thing, which which would make sense. And then the second thing is, is there a loss of hope? Can you sell the people that the, uh, go into 17, 18-year-olds' houses and living rooms and sell them on the fact that the future is brighter than the past? And Kyle Whittingham checks every box there. Like, that's insanity. But they have, in the conference championship the last two years, they have gotten pummeled both times. Uh, which is a little bit concerning, I would I would say. Um, out physical, yeah. out physical by the North, which is the the North is like nine and one, right? In Pac twelve championships yep, or something only, like that in the last the, ten years. USC is the only team that's won. That wasn't so. So the only teams that have won the Pac twelve since the Pac twelve, um, like in the last what ten years is. Uh, USC won it once. Oregon, Stanford, and Washington are the only other people who have won. If, if, I'm correct with that, right? I think yeah. so, yeah. Uh, because UCLA damn sure hadn't won it. Uh, Arizona <laughs> damn sure hadn't won. Arizona State, nope. Colorado, absolutely not. Utah, nope. Yep, so that's a great big nope. Um, would you grade this season as an overall success for the Pac-12? The season is a success? Yeah, in, in uh, terms of nationally for the Pac-12 brand. Because in the beginning of the season, we talked about how this was crucial for the Pac-12 to get to the college football playoff, to revive the image, all of this stuff, did the Pac-12 do itself any favors? I would say that at best it was neutral um, because you had... So, okay, so um, here here are the metrics for me. How did they do in big out-of-conference games? Um, I don't think anybody was embarrassed. I think Oregon went toe-to-toe with Auburn. I think that both teams probably earned some... Mutual respect there. Cal went out to Ole Miss and got one. Um, but then the downside of that is uh, the Pac-12 refs <laughs> uh, became sort of a national story uh, after that game. Uh, Arizona State went out to Michigan State, and they, you know, they did okay. Colorado clipped Nebraska. So um, I think that that was probably the best part 
of the season was that the Pac-12 did an okay job of going toe-to-toe with some of the bigger level, a bigger name brand out-of-conference opponents. Um, only getting seven teams into bowls and most of the most of the teams getting into bowls having a losing conference record doesn't look good. I remember Larry Scott was really proud of getting nine teams in bowls, even though they went one and eight a few years back. Uh, so having two less, not great. No team in the playoff, um, not great. Uh, the scheduling debacle of you know bringing up 9 a.m games having us argue about it having the really competitive teams like utah have to play at 8 p.m three different nights in a row then having the conference championship at 5 p.m on a work day in a city where it's hard to get around anyway (laughs) was was pretty wild um having the goal of finding an equity partner and then not getting that done um, that didn't really look and great. They're trying to sell stage. it though, as oh we, oh yeah. we are we're we're so happy. We we learned so much in this process that we that and we we actually got a lot of people a lot of interest, but we decided not to do it. You know what? You, you know who um, Larry Scott sounds like when he says stuff like that. Like we tried a thing, it didn't work, but we learned and we're getting better. Uh, and the future is bright. He sounds like Clay Helton, only like a less believable version. I believe everything Clay Helton says. I think he's a great man. I think that he's got good intent. I think that he's trying his best. Larry Scott does the same stuff, and it is very much just spin. It's corporate nonsense. It's nothing words. It's sawdust. It's vapor. It's it just it 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 means absolutely nothing, and. uh yeah, I, I, I think that even with all of those things being said, I don't think it was a bad year. I mean, there, I think, I think things have been worse. You have USC sort of on the the up and up. Utah was part of the national conversation. Who'd have thought that they'd be? You know, everyone picked them to win the South. Everything uh, kind of worked out. I picked Washington to win the North. I think so. It was a disappointing down year for them. Um, but, you know, you didn't have teams do so bad that you just out and out were kicking out the entire staff. Oregon State's sort of on the come up. Colorado's got some excitement surrounding them. Really outside of University of Arizona, which just seemed to be like this year was a complete disaster that ended on a seven-game losing streak, everybody seems to have some sort of ray of hope, even UCLA. And so, and then the the change at Washington is something that Washington fans are excited about. I, so, what's crazy is with with all of the things that were sort of like wrong with the Pac-12 this year, there was enough good to make me feel like it was almost a break even. Not they, I don't they they weren't in the black by any means, but like it 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 feels the thing that could really set it back though is how everything closes on early signing day because we, we already have most of the talent in the West coast sort of pouring out into other conferences. If it gets any worse than it is right now, that could be the definitive thing for me that says like, all right, PAC 12 had a down year. Yeah. And I was looking at the, the ratings. So the ratings for the PAC 12 championship and on its face, I I looked at it and I was like, hold up, 
hold up. Is this terrible or not? Because I, I did say that the game being on on ABC was yeah. a big deal. It, that it was a much better deal than being on ESPN, obviously, because it's network television versus cable. So on the face of, on its numbers, they did a 1.3 amongst uh, the, the the key demographic, adults 18 to uh, 49, and they did an average of over $5 million, I'm $5 million, 5 million viewers through each of the hours. So they did 5.5, 5.3, and then six, and then 4.6 because the game was out of control at that point in, point in time. So it was the most watched, well, it, it wasn't the most watched thing because, granted, it was a big-time football game. Hawaii 5-0 got more people to right. watch it. Blue Bloods got more people to watch it. And so did Magnum P.I. Right. And, and then I look at Saturday, and uh, I don't see the SEC scores yet, but the ACC championship did $5 million in the first hour. And then three, then three point four, and then two point six, because that yeah, game, was which just makes big. sense. Yeah, the, but the Big Ten championship game. Guess how many people watched it in each hour? My good, I'm I'm thinking a minimum of eight or nine, right? Minimum that that would that would be that would be called the conservative estimate, Ralph. Eleven million in the first good hour. Lord. 13 million in the second hour. 13 million in the third hour. People tell you that the SEC football is the biggest. It's not. It is the Big Ten. The Big Ten gets more eyeballs than any other conference, and in particular, Ohio State. You know what? I think Ohio State with Wisconsin was the. Wait, no, it was um, uh, Wisconsin and. Oh, Lord. I forgot who, who it was. Wisconsin is somebody who had, had the most watched game of the entire year. Well, answer me this, George. Aren't there like 30 million people in California? Yep. What do people, <laughs> what do people in California do at 5 p.m. On a, on a Friday? Aren't they just sitting in their cars? They, yeah. Yep. Everybody. <laughs> I bet you the radios probably did pretty well. So I'm the radio yeah. broadcast probably did better than the TV broadcast. So that's my question is so the Pac-12 championship ends up being a reward for people who love football and live in New Jersey? It doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. That and this is one of the things that I talked about this year or this week when John Canzano released his deep dive into why the Pac-12 and this is another thing that points out that maybe the Pac-12 did not have a good year. The Pac-12 dropped 250,000 paid attendees from this year to last year. 250,000, biggest drop of any conference, right? And I said, like, this deep dive is really nice and everything, but it's very simple. The Pac-12 does not prioritize its fans. They bow to the god of TV. Therefore, you will continue to have people pushed in the direction that the conference is pushing them. The conference is pushing them toward television. So, like, when, when you don't prioritize your fans, they will go elsewhere. You can't serve two masters. 
You can't serve TV and serve your fans. And so when your championship game is played at a time when it is harder for the fans in your footprint to watch the game than the fans in any other part of the entire country, that is just you taking another step to make sure that they know they're not your priority. Somebody in Alabama at 8 p.m. watching this game is your priority. Those TV numbers are your priority, not the people who are you, you are supposed to be stewarding their experience. And so, you know, I just, I think, I think that, that that's probably the thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to go back and say it was not a neutral year. 250,000 less fans attended games this year than last year. That should be the biggest indicator on whether or not this was a successful year. Well, I I think that you're going to get that across most conferences because attendance is down. But not in this amount. Yeah. Not in this amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and everybody, everybody, you know, so I I had tweeted something like that like Hey, uh, you know, if if you were uh, if you were trying to sell tickets to a Pac-12 school, you call somebody and tell them like, "Hey, would you like to buy season tickets?" and they'd be like, "Sure, how much?" and you'd be like, "Oh, just twenty five percent more than last year." <laughs> and then you'd say like, "Oh, well, uh, well, you know, are all the games going to be played at the same time?" Well, no. Uh, are all the games going to be played on the same day? Uh, well, no. <laughs> And uh, and then the you know the final thing is just you know when when will the games be played? Oh well, you'll know when we know. <laughs> yeah, you know no, it's just like there's nothing Friday, about this Saturday. Yeah, and what like hey, what if I can't attend one of these games? Will I be able to watch it on TV? Uh, <laughs> that that depends on multiple factors, you know. Um, if, and, oh, or will will I be able to sell my tickets? Right, like do do my season tickets hold any value if if I cannot attend the game. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. It's just it, it's not an optimal experience and I had a few people argue with me when I tweeted that of like if you care enough then you'll find a way to make all this stuff work. But it's not about the people who are absolute fanatics who will do everything. This is about catching flies. Period. You are you cannot take the fans for granted. You need to bring them in. That's your responsibility. And I think we've gotten to the point where the fans are just taken for granted that they like football and that they will be there. You have to prioritize their experience, period. The fans have to be your priority. And they will never be your priority if every decision you make is a decision made in order to keep people at a television network happy because those people at that television network they don't want people to go to your games they want people to stay home and watch the games in the only format that still exists in television in which you have to watch commercials that's what they want so the goals are diametrically opposed you are bleeding attendees and everyone always says well there's so much to do in these West Coast cities. There's the same amount of shit to do that there was 10 years ago. Why is there 2 million less fans? Dude, it it is, it's incredible. And I think that you have to look at certain teams and certain fan, fan, the biggest, uh, the, the, the team that was the biggest, um, no shows had to be UCLA. 
because we have UCLA season tickets. And yeah. I mean, it was just, the Rose Bowl was empty. I've never seen it that empty. Like you could have played modern day versus St. John Bosco at the Rose Bowl and probably got the same amount of fans. And paid attendance is not actual attendance. That's got to be at least another 20% drop for schools. Yeah, because there were some games that we didn't go. For sure. Um, The, um, and, okay, so the, the teams that have people show up, you have Oregon, Washington, Utah, and, yeah, yeah, Oregon, Washington. Oh Colorado, yeah. Colorado, Colorado yeah. had a really good year. One of those, one of those involved Nebraska fans buying up all their tickets, but they did yeah. have a good Col- year. Colorado, how does how does Arizona State do in attendance? Uh, <laughs> paid attendance and actual attendance, there was a big gap, but because it was a strong end of the season um, home schedule, where you had Oregon and University of Arizona back to back. Those stands were full, even if they're. How about Washington before. State? Um, oh wait, wait, never, 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 never mind. The the Cougs fans show up, and I mean they do have a small stadium, but they do typically show up and give a good yeah home field advantage. And it was L A. L A. was where things were really bleeding out this year. That's where, and then Cal and Stanford fans, they just don't, they don't care. Um, ah, Cal fans care. They go. They're, they're just not as many as there should be. Um, but I mean, Stanford and the two LA schools and University of Arizona, which broke attendance records in a bad way this year, they're they're the culprits, I think, of most of the drama. I, I think the the, the Pac-12 conference has to go on full PR assault. I mean, just hire a firm. How you how do you do that without making it feel like a PR? Oh, it, so what? Who cares? As long as you are in front of people and people okay. are talking to you, okay. I'm going old school A and R record people and just paying people to talk about me if necessary. I'm putting I'm putting checks in 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 uh, in radio people's pockets. I'm putting them in TV people's pockets. Hey, yo. Hey yo, do you do you want an endorsement with the Pac-12? You know, I'm paying people under the table. You talk about us in a positive light. So that's the first thing. And and I mean, I'm finding a way to get that done. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So the, it's gonna be just. I'm just gonna say it's gonna be pretty noticeable when all of a sudden on this Pac-12 Apostles podcast. When I mentioned Larry Scott, I'm saying stuff like, doesn't he look like he smells nice? <laughs> I, I just think, I think that that would be like a tectonic shift. But I, you know what? I will, ta- I will take your money. If they have any left after paying rent and paying his salary, we'll take it. <laughs> I'll find something nice to say about the man. <laughs> it, it won't be about football, though. Um, yeah. And the second thing is... Uh, I, I'm a person, I believe in what uh, Marcus Lamonis talks about, people, process, and product. And that that part of that is that it is, is if you watch his show, The Prophet on, C, on CNBC, he always talks about, you know, doing the right thing. And if you're in bad deals that are killing your business, 
find a way out. So the so the Pac-12 networks, because everybody said, oh, we can't get out of the these deals, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Is that really true though? Because if the networks had a way to make more money, don't you think they would be in for that? If then if instead of being on sling alone that they could then get on um you know other streaming get on hulu tv youtube tv hell disney plus anything literally anything else you don't have to negotiate with direct tv you don't have to negotiate with comcast get on the streaming platforms because that is the future and then you will get in front of more eyeballs and then make that work economically for the for the you know for pac 12 mountain california i'm sorry mountain los angeles uh oregon and arizona make it work for them economically because you need eyeballs more than you need money (laughs) at this point in time because if you can find a way to make it work then that is the plan. That's what you have to do. You cannot just wait till 2023 because at the beginning of the season, what's the first thing they talk they they talk about? Oh yeah, Oregon's good. But the Pac-12, ha, they man, man, they're going to have to do so much to get into the playoff. Oh, they don't they don't stand a chance. And you're up against the fact that um 13 13 of the conference champions out of of the eight win teams right of the i'm sorry of the eight team conferences eight eight conference game teams lord have mercy the acc and the sec they have made the uh the college football playoff every single year and it's only like six for 15 out of the out of the nine uh, out of the conferences that play nine games. It's atrocious. It's abysmal. It is not okay. It is propaganda. You have to find a way around this and to make it work for, for you. You have to do your schedules better. I love the fact that the Pac-12 can schedule non-conference games in November now, that they're not just beating themselves up all year. This, this, this is just atrocious. You have to do something else, Rob. I just, all I know is that Pac-12 is available in like 18 million homes and that there's 39 million people in California alone. Like you can't even cover it. <laughs> it's just, it, it, it can't get more obvious than that. Like how, I, I don't know. I, if, it's like if you worked at a company where your entire job was to figure out what two plus two is and like the whole world already knows the answer to two plus two and they're all screaming four and you have larry scott standing there saying like maybe it's five who knows and it's Uh, it's like 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 uh, like they're on prices right and they're sitting there facing facing they're kind of like what two two one three like ten thousand dollars bob yeah i just it (laughs) It feels like gaslighting. Like everybody knows the answer except for the person responsible for the answer. And I, you know, I hate backseat drivers. I hate armchair quarterbacks. 
uh, even though this podcast is basically like organized armchair quarterbacking. You know, I, 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 I hate all of those things because you got to let experts be experts sometimes and experience matters. But in, in just in this, it really, really feels like I could have ruined this job at an equal clip. <laughs> like, I, I, I hate feeling like I could, my best could probably equal what's happening right now. And I, nothing makes me feel worse than feeling that way. Like, no, that person's in charge. I shouldn't feel like I could also screw it up this bad. The Peter Principle, man. Everybody gets promoted to the level of their incompetence. <laughs> and and But then there are some people... Um, I, I was reading a book by this guy named Ben Horowitz. Uh, talk about It's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And he talks about hiring people, executives, how this works. And, but he talks about one of the worst things that you can do in a company is create politics where you feel like people get raises and and hired and fired or whatever for political reasons that they find a way to manipulate the system and and it's not for actual merit. And that's what's happening in the Pac-12 with Larry Scott. He's not been promoted and um, well, he actually got hired for for merit for what he did with tennis. But then his extension, I don't know how he conned everybody into doing that. And guess what? He's going to con them into another one because his contract is up before the TV rights are up. So he's gonna be like, yo, I need to be in a position to, 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 to get this done. I got the plan and you ain't going to do a damn thing. Um, so like I said, it's that Clay Helton equivalency. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. They they both would be great Survivor con- contestants. They would they would win the game. They would both make the finals. Um, and and you have an image problem because check check this out. Georgia got boat raced in the SEC championship. Ah, uh, it happens. You're playing against the best team in the country. Uh, you're still number f- you dropped from four to five and there was a discussion about <laughs> keeping you at four uh, yeah. G- Georgia got I'm sorry v- Virginia got annihilated in the ACC championship ah no no biggie you get to go to the orange bowl congratulations Baylor loses in the big 12 championship no problem we still got a new year six game in the sugar bowl for you no problem Utah loses in the Pac-12 championship. Posers, they're exposed. No real competition. Alamo Bowl. Huh? <laughs> Against a 7-5 and five Texas team that just fired everyone on their staff except the head coach. <laughs> you have a top... <laughs> you, you have an 11th-ranked team playing the number... Uh, an unranked 7-5 and five Texas team. How how does that happen? That shows where the disrespect for your conference is. <laughs> Should we talk about these bowl games? Because I I'm worried about a couple of them. Okay, but let's let's bowl game it up, Ralph. Bowl game it up. Um, I I, I do want to note before we even talk about the bowl games how there was an interesting dynamic that I think got worked out publicly and privately before the bowl games were announced you had the alamo bowl which could have selected usc instead of utah 
But then Utah would have gotten bumped down from bowl games for consecutive years because last year the Alamo Bowl didn't didn't choose them either, even though that they played in the conference championship game, which is pretty customary. And people were going to be outraged about it, but I think it made it publicly enough, bad enough, where USC fans were like, listen, we're not going to San Antonio. If Clay Helton's coaching, uh, we, yeah. we, you'll be lucky to get us to show up in the Holiday yeah, I mean, Bowl that, in San that, Diego. That makes sense to so me. I think that they that the bowl game wanted to make sure that their fans, that the stands were full because Utah fans will go to San Antonio, but they're unsure about USC fans, even though they're a bigger brand. Yeah, but but on to the games though. So the the irony bowl, <laughs> the the irony Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl is Boise State, number 19 Boise State, who beat Florida State in Florida after a time, after a, a venue and time change, last-minute venue and time change, um, is playing Washington. Chris Peterson, this is his last game coaching Washington, gave the keys to uh, Jimmy Lake, their defensive coordinator. But remember, even though he's been at Washington for, what, s- six years? He has not been. He was coaching at Boise State before that, mind you. I think only Brian Harson was the same only person still on that staff. But this feels very fitting, and I think that this was a matchup that was chosen to get them uh, against Boise State because I think it matters more. What do you? What do? You, how do you see this game, Ralph? Well, I mean, <laughs> this is another example of BYU just screwing stuff up uh, for for other teams um because without without uh that loss to uh BYU you know uh, Boise State would have been in a completely different conversation cuz they'd have been 13 and 0 and with their history and their branding and a win over Florida State to start the year uh and then just running through a Mountain West uh schedule that actually had some pretty good teams this year um, we'd probably be talking about a Boise State team that might be making some UCF arguments like they belong. Um, but instead, a 12-1 and team is ranked number 19 in the country, uh, which is pretty wild. And I think one of the reasons that they're ranked so low is they have had some serious injury issues at quarterback this year. They started with Hank Bachmeyer. He got knocked out. Then they had Chase Cord, and he was you know, relatively successful, and he got knocked out. Now they're they're on a third string quarterback. Maybe Hank Bachmeyer will be healthy in time for this bowl game. Um, and so that you know, I I think that you'll probably still, um, I think Washington's favored, if I'm not mistaken. And I I feel like probably should be, um, talent wise. But that's also that's the exact place Boise loves to be. Um, I know that uh, Brian Harston probably loves this matchup. Chris Peterson hates playing Boise State. He, I think they had that home and home a couple of years back, and he 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 was pretty open about you know not being a huge fan of of trying to go back and play his old team, and and that's that's something I've noticed is actually pretty common amongst head coaches who had a good experience at their previous employee with their previous employer. They know what it takes to go in there and beat up on another team, and and there there's a little bit of an element of like, of just not wanting to see a team that you helped lift up get knocked down, you know. 
Um, and these guys are competitors. They'll do it, but they know that they know that you kind of got to go to a dark place <laughs> in order to do that. Um, and so uh, that's why the Klitschko brothers won't fight. So, um, I mean, I, I think that it's a good matchup for Washington um, because Boise State's been banged up and because the one loss they had this year came to a bigger, more physical team. Uh, Boise State struggled against my Wyoming Cowboys, and they're, that they, their whole thing is just, you know, physicality and bad weather. Um, <laughs> but this will be played in Las Vegas, and, and you know, um, and Boise State's had a lot of success in this bowl game. The Mountain West period has had a ton of success in this bowl game. So uh, I, I I don't know. I, are we are we doing predictions now? Because these bowls don't kick off till the twenty first. But I really really I I like Washington in this game. But I it, it's it's tough to bet against the Mountain West in the Vegas. I bowl. totally agree. Uh, they beat Oregon in the Vegas Bowl two years ago. Um, and in what ended up, I, I believe, is part of the reason Andy Avalos is the the defensive coordinator at Oregon right now. Um, yeah, I, I I like it for Washington for Chris Peterson. I think it's going to be a good storyline. People are going to be talking about it all week. He personally is going to hate that that he's a bigger story than the players in the game. But for the players, yeah. I think that this is Jacob Eason's last opportunity to try to come out this season. You won't have anybody from either team sitting out this game, except the only person who could is Boise State's DN because he's probably going to be a top ten pick. Um, I think he, but I doubt it. I mean, he's kind of a workman like guy, so uh, you know he probably won't yeah. sit out. But Jacob, Jacob Eason, some of these seniors on Washington's team, they need to perform well. Because they don't have, I mean, nobody has that kind of hype that, you know, that Taylor Raps had, the uh, Marcus Peters, the, you know, some of the other, uh, the, the the Vita Veyes and, you know, some of the other top seniors that Washington had in previous seasons. Um, you got the Alamo Bowl. I'm sorry, the, the Holiday Bowl, USC, Iowa. Um, we will get to the predictions in uh, a future show, but I don't, I think this is a huge test for Clay Helton. I see it. I was probably got way more invested in this game against, you know, playing against the, the fancy LA folks than, you know, than, and then USC does. I think USC is looking at this matchup and thinking like, oh, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> But uh, 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 all right, so if USC wins this game, obviously it's really good for Clay Helton, really good for the um, for their team in general. I mean, like, like it, yeah. it's really good for the confidence of the fans. But a, a loss would be absolutely crippling, would be crippling. And their and their former head and USC's former head coach. Lane Kiffin, he just got a, a new job in, in the SEC. And just, just a quick note, I just wanted to mention him super quickly because it did tie in with USC. And I was just thinking, I was like, hold up. Lane Kiffin, he's been the head coach of an NFL team, two SEC teams, and a Pac-12 team, and a Conference USA team, and he's only 44. What are we doing with our life, Ralph? Uh, you just feel pretty bad about <laughs> itself. And we record these... We record. It's not like we record these podcasts at night, 
you know, where I can I can have a glass of whiskey and forget it. This is early in the morning. I'll be thinking about this all day. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, so that's terrible, man. That that's crazy. Uh, I think that this job he's actually earned this one and wasn't ne- uh, nepotized into it. Um, next game up, you got Air Force and Washington State. This is a weird matchup. This is in the Cheez It Bowl in Phoenix, it Arizona, is. at Chase Field. I, I I could not think of a more weird matchup. You have an air raid team led by Mike Mike Leach, who's weird, says weird stuff, doesn't you know follow norms, blames other other people for everything, and then you have the Air Force accountability. Uh, you know, uh, triple option. Uh, they could not be two <laughs> more diametrically opposed forces. One is six and six, and the other one's ten and ten and two. What? What do you? What say you, Ralph, about this game? First of all, I love this. Um, it's just it's on brand. This is a Pac-12 game, right? It's just super on brand. It's. In downtown Phoenix in a baseball stadium, because why not, uh, at 8.15 p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> like, it does not get more, like, just Pac-12 and Mountain West than that. Um, you got a team that runs the triple option that is that is actually, for the first time in a long time, a uh, competitive football team. Like, it's not just gimmicky. Um, I'm a Mountain West fan. I'm a Wyoming fan. Air Force just beat the piss out of out of Wyoming. This is a really good Air Force team. Maybe their best. And, and they beat Colorado. They beat Colorado. They did beat Colorado. I blame that one on Colorado a little bit, but they got out to that early lead and they did it in Boulder, which was special. And then, I mean, you saw the fit that Hawaii gave Arizona, right? And the fit that Hawaii gave Oregon State. Air Force beat Hawaii by 30. By 30. And there's not going to be a more familiar team to what Washington State's trying to do than Hawaii. Washington State needs to be worried. They need to be on for this game or they're going to get wrecked. Yeah, because if they can't stop, it's already, I mean, we even see top tier teams. How often does Notre Dame struggle with Navy or Army or, um, uh, or have Oklahoma struggle with Army. They almost lost last year, and they were a college football playoff team yeah. to, and to I, Army. <laughs> and, I, and again, I just want to reiterate, they beat Hawaii by 30 in Hawaii. That's impressive. Yes, that's extremely impressive. That's crazy. Ouch. Um, the next game, uh, uh, well, uh, Mike... Mike Leach isn't going anywhere like we, you know, thought it could happen. But at the same time, like you, you don't want to finish the season seven and six because then he's going to be complaining about them not getting enough respect next year. These, this next game is a game I love, Ralph. I absolutely love it. I love Lovey Smith coaching against Illinois. I'm sorry, for Illinois against Cal. This feels like two of the exact same teams playing playing each other. Because you got Cal, who's an upstart. They're coming back. Justin Wilcox built this thing back up from the ashes. 
You got Lovey Smith done the same thing at Illinois. They beat Wisconsin this year inexplicably. Nobody thought, nobody believed in them. I love this game, and this game very well could finish 7-6, just like the, the Red Box Bowl last year with Oregon and Michigan State. This game could finish 7-6, to six, Ralph. Yeah, I was privately rooting for a Lovey versus Herm game, um, but uh, this will do. You know, uh, Illinois had a really weird season. But it's that it's like that NFL model of like, oh, well, they're they're six and six now, but they can make that playoff push <laughs> toward the end of the year. They actually I feel like they played Iowa pretty close. Um, and I feel like early in that Michigan game, it felt like they were giving them some trouble as well. They've played Illinois played one of the toughest schedules uh, to me, just the the way the conference schedule worked out. Um and somehow avoided Iowa State or Ohio State and all all this mess, but um, I I I they've just been inconsistent. Uh, Illinois has, and I think that Cal's season can really be blamed on injury, right? So I want to give Cal the advantage in this game. Um, Brandon Peters is a decent enough quarterback for Illinois. He's made you know he's made a few plays this year, but he, 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 they they are similar. They are similar. Um, neither one really has a, a feature back. The quarterback has hasn't really played, you know, up to um, up to standards. Uh, I think their main wide receiver, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, Josh Imator Bibi, uh, which I butchered yeah. that for sure. Wasn't he a he was it wasn't he a USC kid? Uh, yeah, I think he was yeah. like a big time recruit yeah, to yeah, USC, transfer transferred to Illinois, and he. He he's their main threat on off. He had 33 catches and nine touchdowns uh, this year. Uh, big 6'2", 215 kid out of Georgia. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see that little Pac-12 connection. Um, but yeah, I mean, this should be fun. Cal will have kind of the home field advantage. They get to play host. Uh, and then you just never really know what you're going to get out of this Illinois team. So um, it could go either way. I think the line is what Cal minus five and a half right now, which is – I don't even know if I would touch this line. This feels like a game that'd be separated For by a field sure. goal on either um, side, you know. But this, but it looks like the stars are all on Cal's side. Chase, Chase Garbers, Christopher Brown, the running back, and uh, Remedio, Remedio, um, their wide receiver. <clears throat> you know, but this, this is one of be one of the. This is the definition of true team effort win. That's the only way that this works out for them, and you got to give. Um, uh, Cal a whole lot of credit for being resilient this season. They finished seven and five, and which which was, I mean, phenomenal considering they started out four and zero, oh, and then they lost what like five straight games, four ending with a thirty five nothing loss at Utah before coming back to beat Washington State. Yeah, it, it it was. I mean, and then they got Chase Garbers back at the for the last two games of the season. It was really good, dude. I I mean, they are a team. If you are a Cal fan, you are happy with this seven and five, considering that Chase Garbers was out. And they're a team. Happy. They they played they played Oregon really tough too. And so they're. I'm I'm most curious. I'm really excited just for this game to watch 
Evan Weaver go up against Illinois. I think that that's going to get, you know, that'll get him some respect from some Big Ten fans who might not be aware of who he is. Uh, very true. He's a tackling m- machine, kind of average in coverage. I'm interested to see how he does in the NFL. If they can protect him with a, with D tackles, he can be a good player. Um, <clears throat> a game that feels odd uh, on December 31st, Florida State versus Arizona State. <laughs> Florida State actually made a bowl game. And this game is the Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas, a game I played in, which I enjoyed. And But when I went in 99, I was a red shirt. And guess where they took us, Ralph? Guess where they took us that they wouldn't dare take the, the recruits now? Would they take you to Juarez? Yep, they took us to Juarez, Mexico, buddy. <laughs> I love it. We went to go see a bullfight. And we were hanging out in Juarez. Quick, quick story. So there's a little shopping center in Juarez where you can go buy crafts, goods, you know, all those things, kind of a touristy thing. But some of the locals are there, too. They told us, hey, yo, we're going to be here hour and a half or two hours. You know, walk around, do your thing, stay with each other. Do not leave around here. What what do some uh, some little uh, horny college students do? I have some friends telling me who are upper is a couple of them are upperclassmen. Hey, yo, this dude told us that he knows where where some girls are. We can go holla at him real quick. And, you know, might be able to do, do something real quick and then we can get back in time. And I'm like, bruh, no. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> and then and, and they were like, yo, he's pulling the car around right right now. We're good. We're going to go. Gee, you don't have to go. You know, I, I, I get it. But we we out of here. He pulls up in like a creepy molester van with no windows uh had like a metal thing on the door it had like a metal thing in between the back and the uh and the front seat that way that way like you can't really get to the people in the front seat i was like you guys are gonna get in that van with no damn windows are you an idiot and so i finally talked them out of getting in the van and and the dude was constantly trying to persuade them. Yo, come on, let's 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 go. Hop in the van. We 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 good. I got it all set up. I was like, listen, if you guys die, I'm going to say I told you so. I'm going to tell <laughs> your family I told you so, and that I tried to stop it because this is absolutely at asinine. But they would never take players back to Juarez. And another side <laughs> side note. It, this is the Tony the Tiger Bowl, which is the best bowl game name there is. It is. And if you're listening to this podcast and you want to go down one of the weirdest internet rabbit holes in the history of the world, Google why Tony the Tiger isn't on Twitter anymore. Because it is something I probably can't even talk about on this podcast. It's It's definitely not safe for work. And it's absolutely hilarious, but it's also like sad and bizarre at the same time. There is definitely a subset of very weird humans who uh, have a physical attraction to a cartoon tiger. And it caused them to not allow the brand to have a Tony the Tiger Twitter 
Are um, you serious? Uh, anymore, as of a couple of years ago. George, it is the weirdest story. You're going to be, we're going to get off this podcast. You're going to be, you're going to be crying, laughing, and then just feeling weird about yourself <laughs> after you Google this. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll do. How about the matchup? So you have Mike Nor- Norvell, who's the new <clears throat> yeah. coach of Florida State, who, if I were him, I would not coach this game because you're not putting this loss on my resume. If it, if it, if it happens, because you can't put it in an offense. You don't know what's going on with the team. You got people leaving. You got people people staying. I don't know what it what it is. So guess what? I'm not being a part of it. If I am him, yeah, I'm the opposite. If I'm Mike Norvell, I ask to take the reins immediately, and then I try to kick the crap out of my former team <laughs> because he has probably half of Tempe blocked on Twitter. Are you serious? Um, Why? If yeah, if. Well, if you remember, in triple overtime against Oregon a couple years back, they lined up in shotgun from like the one when they had four NFL players on their on their offensive line and threw an interception to end that game oh, in triple overtime. That, that was a rough night for the Norvell family. So he, uh, um, but he, he was the offensive coordinator for here for uh, for the Taylor Kelly years, Jalen Strong, and then moving on through uh, Mike Bercovici in 2015. When the expectation was, you know, Kirk Herbstreit came out and said Arizona State's going to come out and win a national championship. So that, I mean, that it was a very very good team, and they they didn't play any defense, and 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 uh, I think ended that year seven and five, losing in the Cactus Bowl to. Uh, Cal and having one of the statistically worst defensive backfields in the history of college football. And so, you know, you can't blame Norvell for that, but plenty of fans, you know, were, were uh, hitting him up on Twitter. Again, he blocked probably half the fan base. He ends up taking the the head coaching job after securing Dylan Sterling Cole, um, commitment to Arizona state. He moves on to Memphis, gets Brady white to transfer over, wins a bunch of games with him. Uh, and then now he's now he's headed to Florida State. And if I'm him, you know, I think it'd be fun just to just to take the reins and come back and 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 make Arizona State fans uh, upset. But I don't think he'll do that. Um, the matchup is interesting to me because there uh, Arizona State used to love to recruit the Southeast. And these two running backs, Cam Akers and Kalen Laybourne, um, they're two guys that I got to see out at Rivals Five Star Challenges in Baltimore and Atlanta. They are fantastic football players, and they're actually two players that ASU made a huge effort to try to get to um, come out to the to the Pac-12. Uh, it didn't work out. You know, I think they have 1,400 combined yards. 1,200 of those, or 1,150 of those, are Cam Akers. 18 touchdowns. They're going to be tough to stop in the running game. Again, three years ago, they had like the number four recruiting class in the country, so they've got really good players. Um, but they're in the midst of a really strange season. And I don't know if James Blackman is – I don't know what his deal is at quarterback. I don't know if he's banged up, but of anybody in the entire country, he's had by far the most inconsistent year. Really good uh, uh, games against a couple of teams, and then he's had plenty of weeks where he hasn't even thrown a touchdown pass. So, yeah. I, I mean, they, they, they've also played Hornybrook, who transferred from Wisconsin to uh, – I don't even know. I honestly just on its surface for right now till we get to it later. I don't even know what to make of this game. I, mean, I true, yeah, truthfully. If, if you're a betting person, I would take Florida State because I think on Tuesday you you could very well hear Eno Benjamin come out and say, "I'm out. Uh, uh, I'm going to the NFL and probably not playing in the bowl." So, um, 
I mean, I'd, I if if you were just betting the line, now would be a great time to get in on on Florida State plus five and a half because that could probably shrink um, with the news coming down in in the next couple of days. I, I expect I expect oh. because Eno Benjamin played in the uh, Under Armour All American game before his freshman year, where he announced that he was going to Arizona State, and he jacked up his ankle in that bowl, and it and it it, it lingered really far into his freshman year. So, yep. I mean, if I'm him, having had that experience, even though a good game against Florida State could go a really long way for him, I I bet on myself and I I take the bowl off and train. I totally agree. Uh, and two Washington players I just see are taking the bowl game off. Hunter Bryant and Trey Adams are going to miss their left tackle. Trey Adams are going to miss the Las Vegas Bowl. Huh. Uh, for some players, I like it, and for some, I don't. And Hunter Bryant is probably just really relying on his testing numbers, is my guess, because that dude has been well. That's been the theme of the Pac-12. These guys have been pretty wildly inconsistent this year. Yeah, and 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 truthfully, I mean, he's athletic, extremely athletic. He can run. I, I you know, I I guess I get it. I guess you know. I don't know. Yeah, it, um, I, it's a, it's such a weird thing because there's there's um, there's definitely an advantage to it if you believe that you're already there. And I mean, it, he correct. he must because he he's not the biggest dude in the world. He's six two two forty. So if he thinks that he's there as a blocker, and it, this how not, much different how much different there. is his junior year than yours? Because you left early. As yep. a Pac-12 tight end, he had 52 catches, 825 yards, which is pretty good, but only three touchdowns. Yeah. It okay. So he's not gonna be a first round tight end. He's he's small, like he's smaller than than I was in college. Um, like he doesn't. He's not. He's not even like Nikhil Harry's size. Yeah. He's not a great blocker because he's so small. I mean, Kate Kate Otten does all the dirty work, which he may actually end up being a better NFL prospect than 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 him. I mean, Hunter Bryant is Shannon Sharp size. He's Shannon Sharp, like, but doesn't run quite as well as Shannon Sharp. But he is a receiving threat. But he stands up. Would 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 you agree to the fact that he stands up in a two point stance more than he has his hand in the ground? Yeah, yeah. Which that does not work in the NFL. Grant, I mean, we just gonna make him like an enormous slot. Yeah, receiver? yes. I mean, b- because even guys who catch a ton of balls, like like Kelsey, he has his hand in the ground majority of the time. Yeah, he stands up some, probably like thirty five percent of the time, but. If you want to be an NFL player, you got to play tight end. You got to stick your hand in the ground because you do have to block. It is a necessary requirement. Um, uh, one of the last two games up is Utah and Texas. I think that if you're Texas, you can't lose this game. And if you're Utah, you can't lose this game. It 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 would look so bad. for I, I, I know I'm... Debbie Downer looking at all the negatives in a lot of these bowl games. But if you're Utah, you're 11 and 2. You're the 11th ranked team. You were going to the college football playoff if you beat Oregon. It would be a terrible look for the conference. I mean, out of all the bowl games, this is the one that if the Pac 12 loses, 
it is it would be a huge indictment on the conference. If you let seven and five Texas beat you, beat your second best team in the conference, I I, I don't even know what the national media would would say. No idea. It, it would it would just be awful. I don't know if I agree. I think that all of the comments about how Utah is not even in the national consciousness, therefore we don't want them in the college football playoff. All of that talk, uh, I think some of it was very real. And I think that no matter what happens in this bowl game, people are going to go back to just not caring about Utah. And so, I mean, people forget that they lost last year's bowl game. Like it's not even, people don't even think about that anymore. And so, uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's the best matchup in the world for Utah. There's some, there's some guys out of Texas who have, uh, um, just absolutely insane speed. Jake Smith, the freshman wide receiver has got seven, uh, touchdown catches after even missing, you know, like a couple of games due to injury this year. You know, if they find a way to exploit some matchups with, with him, they could put some points on the board. And if they get er up early the way that Oregon did, you know, I also, I think that Texas has always kind of been unable to figure out if they're physical or finesse. And to me, they're definitely a finesse team. Um, But, you know, I think that they have a good chance to have some success in this game. And I think that uh, if they beat Utah, I genuinely don't think anyone will care. You'll have some people come out and say like, ah, you guys thought you were good or whatever, but then we'll just forget about it going into next year. Just like we did last year, for some reason we didn't factor the, the them losing their bowl game into into whatever it was that they had going on this year when everybody predicted them to to win the South. So I I just don't think people care about Utah all that much outside of the University of Utah, and the only time people really lift their fingers to to say anything is to just kind of rub the salt in the wound when they're there. Um, so I, I think there's only upside. If Utah wins this bowl game, they can be proud of the year that they had. It was a really special year. And if they lose, I just think that people will be like, yeah, well, that was them. That's who they really yeah, were. But it, it, I just think that the, that the national media would just, would just, just look so, I mean, it would just be bad. I think that if, if you're sitting there saying, Oh, Oh, how about, X, Y, and Z, you, you know, how about the conference, you know, and then they would uh, say, wait, hold up. Yeah. They were thinking about Utah would have made the college football playoff in front of Oklahoma had, had they beat Oregon and they can't even beat Texas and all their players are playing. Ha ha. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I think that the best thing for Utah would be to go into Texas, get a win against Texas, and then show those Texas recruits, like, come here instead of Colorado. Because <laughs> Colorado's been doing a pretty good job down there. Yeah, true. Um, you have the last game. You got Oregon versus Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. We've seen this story before, the last time. D'Anthony Thomas and uh, yeah, D'Anthony Thomas showed out big time, and then the time before that, I think they played Wisconsin too, and that was the Russell Wilson game, and and they beat them that time too. 
you know, so I, I've seen this story a couple times. Uh, Wisconsin is a good team, but Oregon's defense is amazing at stopping the the, the run, and Wisconsin is not going to pass it like that. I, I think this game totally favors the the Ducks in every way possible. It's going to be fun, man. I, I don't I don't really have a feel on this yet because I watched Wisconsin a couple of times, but the times that I watched them were against one of the best teams in the entire country. And so um, and I watched them improve. Uh, I wonder if they'll be more up for this game than I, I it really feels to me. The vibe of this Oregon team is that they are very, very excited oh, yeah. to play in the Rose Bowl. Dude, dude, they were so, four and eight their freshman year. Justin Herbert was four and eight his freshman year. Yes. So when you go from four and eight three head coaches, everybody is buried. I mean, everybody buried the Oregon program. Oh, they're done, they're toast. And to get back back this quickly is pretty amazing. I like that, uh, I mean, I really, really like that Justin Herbert, even though he's not, um, hasn't exactly caught fire at the end of this year, outside of his games against Arizona State the last two years, he's still done an incredible elite job protecting the ball. Um, you know, with all of the... I, I think there was like six returning 1,000-yard running backs coming into this season, and C.J. Verdell, I don't think, was one of them. And so for him at the end of the season to be somebody who... Um, is averaging six and a half yards a carry, has almost 1,200 yards rushing, uh, and should really be in that conversation as maybe the best running back in the conference, which is not something I think even you would have mentioned at the beginning of this year. Um, I think that, that you know, that's huge. So know that they have the running game, they know that they have the passing game, and then the defense has been, I mean, it's been good. Uh, there's nothing about Wisconsin's offense to me that... Um, that if you don't completely key on Taylor, uh, Jonathan Taylor, their running back, that you shouldn't be able to handle what they have in the passing game. But that's going to be really the biggest thing is, does Oregon go down into the Rose Bowl and watch Jonathan Taylor run all over them? Because he is, you know, he had over 200 yards in three of the last five games. He had over 130 rushing yards, one, two, three, four, five, six times in the last nine games. He's he's crazy good, and he's not somebody who's a threat in the passing game. It's just all downhill for him. Yeah, I just refu- I just refuse to believe that after seeing <clears throat> what Oregon was able to do to against Auburn and against Utah and against the rest of the Pac-12 rushing, that, that they will be able to at least contain Jonathan Taylor. He'll, he'll, he'll probably have some big runs because he's a good player, but I don't, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see it at this, point, at this point in time. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. You guys have made this podcast grow so much we appreciate it and you guys keep telling a friend about it we'll keep bringing the the heat make sure you guys send us emails if you guys want to talk about anything um to i'm mad i m m a d at unafraidshow.com we appreciate your time appreciate your energy peace out catch you guys later